Going? Okay. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that in the name of Jesus we can come to you and be assured that we are saved. That we can come to you and be certain that our lives will lead to an eternal destination. We pray that you'll remind us of this every day, that you'll strengthen us with this remembrance, Lord, that you will guard our hearts and minds, that we might walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And for those who are in need in our church and in our community, we pray that you'll speak to their hearts, that you will strengthen them, and that you will give them the comfort and the courage and that you will help them to remember that you are there to help us all to get through our most difficult situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Last week, we started the first on a two-part. The title I had was, Right Living Requires Right Thinking. And when we looked at it, we saw there were five guidelines for Christian living. They were as follows. One, love fellow Christians. Two, show hospitality. Three, minister to those in prison and to those who are mistreated. Four, hold marriages honorable and keep the sexual relationship pure. And five, be content with your financial status. This week we will be looking at the rest of chapter 13 and finishing the book of Hebrews. This message is also titled, Right Living Requires Right Thinking. I want to read the beginning of a letter Chip, from Chip Ingram's ministry. It's, it was actually sent out in December, and even though I don't normally open those envelopes, this week I actually opened this one, sent out in December. I'll remind you. It had a lot to say about this very topic and how he worded it and articulated it. I thought it was a very good thing for us to have as an introduction. The letter is titled, There is Hope for America and the World. It starts off, Dear Ministry Partner, There is a hope for America and the world but the path is narrow. And it is not what most people are looking, where most people are looking. Deliverance will not come from a new president, a new Senate, a new Congress, a new economic plan, or new laws that align more with biblical values. America's massive debt, racial conflict, disintegrating families, sexual confusion, declining education, overcrowded prisons, and disregard for the lives of the unborn and the aged are merely the fruit of a nation that has lost its moral compass. The root of America's decline is not political or social problem, but a spiritual one. God's church is the steward of his truth and the angels of his love. I mean the agent of his love, and compassion in a fallen world. 
Who would have imagined 40 years ago that the evangelical churches would question the authority of God's word, condone same-sex relationships, experience the same rates of divorce and abortion as the culture, and lose 70% of their young people who long for far more than a self-help Jesus and prosperity gospel. Our churches are filled with Christians who unwittingly and often unintentionally are not living like Christians. As a result of our faulty and distorted view of God, we have created a God of our own making. A church that has lost its salt and light for the world. How, do we, how did we get there? And where is our hope? Everything rises and falls with people having a high and accurate view of God. Our only hope is to regain a high and accurate view of the real God. When you correct your misconceptions about God and start to truly know and experience Him, it changes every aspect of your life. It impacts your relationships, your view of yourself, your decisions, your sense of purpose, and how you deal with adversity. You receive a gift from Him, a lasting hope about all things, and when you know Him in a way that He longs for you to know Him, it brings intimacy into your relationships, and you can move toward what He created you to be and to do. So, Chip Ingram here in this letter says, a high and accurate view of God. In other words, right thinking is a requirement for right living. As we finish chapter 13, we will be looking at guidelines for leadership and doctrine in verses 7 to 19, and then Verses 20 to 25, he finishes off with a benediction and closing. Hebrews 13, 7 to 19. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For, he, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, 
That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect the doing of good and sharing, for, what, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you sooner. So the first guideline that he gives to us in verse 7 is, remember your leaders. It says here in verse 7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Now it's important to understand here, he's not talking about people who are alive, he's talking about people who have died, who have lived the Christian walk, who have been there and have testified. He's reminding us to look at this and to remember their conduct and to imitate their faith. This actually ties back to Hebrews 11 where he's talking about this great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11, 32 to 34 say this, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What he is getting at is that as history progresses, those whose lives have been lived for Christ are also part of this cloud of witnesses. We are to remember our leaders. He next tells us to remember their conduct and follow their example of faith. The words Paul gave to us in Philippians 3, 7-11 encapsulate this attitude of being totally sold out for Christ as an example for us to follow. Philippians 3, 7-11 say this, but whatever things were gained to me, those I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ as my Lord, for, who, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, 
in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Those are powerful words that Paul said. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's how he lived his life from day to day. That's the example he set for us to follow. And over the centuries, many people have taken that verse to heart and have made it their life's goal to, as Paul, say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And as those people and as people we know even today or have known recently have lived their lives for Christ, we can look at the example they set, at the lives they lived, and remember that his power is just as active today as it was back in the day of Paul. Because his power is working in lives here today. His power can be worked out through each and every one of us as we take that to heart and say for ourselves that I may know him. That we make that our primary thing. That I may know him. Again, Right living requires right thinking. Knowing him gives us the power to be like him. So we are to remember our leaders. Next we are to remember the conduct and follow their example of faith. And here now we are to remember what they taught. The phrase, who spoke the word of truth to you, was put in this verse to remind us to remember what it was they taught us. So what was it that they taught? Verse 8 tells us, he encapsulates pretty much everything he says in the first 12 chapters of Hebrews in this one verse. It's amazing how he is able to do this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a look at his immutability, his unchangeableness, the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He starts the book, the author of Hebrews, with, with Jesus at creation. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say, God, after he spoke, long ago into the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken, us, spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Just to make sure we get the point, he continues in verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Remember, this is the Father talking to the Son here. What we see is at the beginning of the universe, Jesus was there, and he took an active part in creating the universe. Jesus is the same today. 
The author of Hebrews reminds us of what he taught earlier. Hebrews 1.3 says, And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And where is he now? He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1.13 continues this way. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus is still the one who is the perfect image of the Father. And he is still sitting at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 7.26 tells us, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And then he finishes this great, if you will, triune statement about Jesus by saying he is the same forever. Hebrews 7.17 reminds us, For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we see that we have been taught that Jesus is that eternal great high priest interceding for us. Hebrews 1, 10 to 12 say this, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands, and they will perish, but you remain. And they all will become like an old garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. He is the same forever. And notice this passage here ties in the beginning and continuing on to the end all together in this one compact passage. So we see here, he's summarizing everything he taught in the book of Hebrews about who Jesus is, about his unchangeableness, about the fact that our salvation is based on a God who cannot and will not change because he is who he is. He made a promise. And the fact that we can rely on that promise is because he doesn't change. The key to our hope is Jesus is always the same for all eternity. His love will never diminish. His salvation is to the uttermost. Just because I sin, his plans for me will not change. I can remain confident in my salvation because Jesus cannot lie. And he has made a promise and he will keep that promise for all eternity. We are to remember our leaders, we are to remember their conduct and follow their example of faith. We are to remember what they taught. We are to guard against all kinds of strange teachings and identify ourselves with Jesus' teaching. Hebrews 13, 9-14 say this, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. 
through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. By talking about the Old Testament sacrifice here, the author is reminding the believers of the specific thing that was drawing them away. This issue is also at the core of what we all seem to fall back on in our lives. I'm not talking about temple worship, but salvation by works. Paul dealt extensively with this same issue in the book of Galatians. Galatians 1, 6 and 7 say this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In Hebrews 7.22, the author corrects the same distortion by reminding us, so much the more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. See, remember, the old covenant was a covenant by works under the law. The new covenant is a covenant by faith. And one of the things that makes that covenant lasting is it's not based on my ability to do anything. It is based on the fact that Jesus himself has made a covenant with the Father that by performing this sacrifice for my sins, the Father gives me to him. So it's a promise between the Father and the Son. There is an eternal promise there that it is what I benefit from, but has nothing to do with what I did. That is so much why this covenant is so much better. Verses 11 and 12 remind us that Jesus' sacrifice was the once-for-all offering that established this better covenant of salvation, which comes from faith alone. Verse 11 and 12 say this, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Remember, they took him outside and he died on the hill outside the city. Verses 13 and 14 remind us that we need to actively identify ourselves with this new and better covenant. Verse 13 says, 13 and 14 say this, So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Remember, when we live for Christ, when our testimony is for Christ, it is a testimony of reproach. Most people will say, oh, you're foolish. It's a crutch. Everything you do is just so stupid. You don't, the fact that you believe in God, I mean, how can you be so ignorant in this world today? It is a message that when we identify with Christ and by faith, live for Christ, it is 
identifying with his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Just like Janae's favorite song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. We're looking for something that is in the future. The encouragement to go out to him and to bear his reproach is an encouragement to live a sanctified life, a life set apart. We are to live the life separated from the world. Notice it is taken as a fact of life. If we identify ourselves with Christ, we will suffer reproach. It's not an if, it's a we will. We are to live, okay, we are to remember our leaders. We're to remember their conduct and follow their example of faith. We are to remember what they taught. We are to guard against all kinds of strange teachings and identify ourselves with Jesus' teaching. Next, we are to offer a new kind of sacrifice. He got at that earlier in the book of Hebrews, but he says it again here, reminding us. Through him then, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Notice the author starts through him and describes a new offering as the fruit of the lips. Remember, right living requires right thinking. As Jesus said, out of the fullness of a man's heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 16 also ties doing good and sharing as part of the sacrifice that pleases God. Paul describes this fruit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're to remember our leaders. We're to remember their conduct and follow their example of faith. We're to remember what they taught. We're to guard against all kinds of strange teachings and identify ourselves with Jesus' teaching. We are to offer a new kind of sacrifice. And finally, we are to obey our leaders. There's that word. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is not, I repeat, not the obedience of a believer doing everything a leader tells them to do. Leaders have been given the charge of watching over our souls. 
and will be held accountable. It says that right in this verse. These are spiritual matters. Matters of accurately teaching God's word. Obey here means pay attention. Follow up on what you are being taught. An example of this can be found in Acts 7, in Acts chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, where it says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They didn't just take their word, they also searched the scriptures. They studied. God holds the leaders responsible to teach his word. He holds all of us responsible to study and to show ourselves approved workmen. The author then closes with this section, this section with a prayer request for himself and his work. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you sooner. This prayer sets a good example for our daily prayer life. We should be praying for our leaders that they may conduct themselves honorably in all things. The book of Hebrews closes with this benediction and final greeting. Let's look at this as the preacher's benediction to us from this book. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom he comes, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of the leaders and all of the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book that teaches us so much about Jesus that shows us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in it, it, we can understand more of who you are. And as we understand more of who you are, we may live more like you. We thank you that your grace has been given to us to give us the strength to do this. And we pray that you'll remind us of this grace every day and, and help us to walk in this grace that we may be a witness to our community and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.